and welcome to Pop-Up Submissions. Best-selling author of Gone Girl, Gillian Flynn, once said that successful writing is one part inspiration and two parts sheer stubbornness. Well, I think all of today's authors can identify with that. It takes a lot of determination, a ton of grit, and not a little guts to produce a manuscript. None of that tough grind is visible to readers, of course. The Taj Mahal took 20,000 people 20 years to create. Yet today's tourists can dispose of it in an hour or so. Here on Pop-Ups, we deeply respect the author's sacrifice. We'll always be straight with you but will never be disrespectful of your dedication. So let's meet our first guest today. Welcome back. Ros Morris, celebrity ghostwriter, mentor and muse, and now novelist. And all the way from the Pacific West Coast, it's Latopian and Boris Johnson contemporary, I've got permission from him to say that, Ed Simnett. Now it's the penultimate show of the month. Let's check out the leaderboard so far. And Sam Horton's speculative fiction is down. Just a point or two, it's been inched into second place by Jane Langham's coming-of-age story set in the 1980s about power and control. You, it, and everything good. But it's very tightly bunched there at the top, as you can see, and anything could happen on today's show. Straight on to the first submission of the day. This is called Oxford Revisited. It's a psychological drama. It's from Sheikh Rafi Ahmed. I should say Dr. Sheikh Rafi Ahmed. And there's a QR code. If you want to scan that on your phone, you'll go to whatever website. Rafi, if I may call you that, Rafi, wants you to go to. And the blurb is very short and simple. This is it. A German Holocaust survivor's confession of guilt to a South Asian Muslim student capturing the zeitgeist of 60s Oxford. It is darker than the organisation's hunt to destroy him. Okay, that's short and sweet. Let me tell you about Rafi. Uh, I studied for DPhil in laser science, says Rafi, at Oxford University and spent my academic career within the MOD, that's Ministry of Defence here in the UK, and Cranfield University, UK. I've written several books on scientific topics, along with a host of research publications and scientific articles in the past, and a fact-based fiction, Rolf, I guess that's the title, in Bengali. Oh, yeah, polyglot. Uh, it received nine excellent journal and newspaper reviews for which I'm seeking a traditional publisher. Um, it's received many excellent reviews. Right, well, what we're going to do is try and add to the number of excellent reviews you're receiving with this wonderful reading by Emily. Oxford Revisited by Shikar Rafi Ahmad Read by Emily 1. Figment of the Imagination I was enjoying a cup of coffee at the cafe on Corn Market Street at the centre of the city. When the coffee was nearly half finished, I lit a cigarette, a strategy I had adopted when I took up smoking during my college days back home in the then East Pakistan. Players number six, the brand of cigarette I began to smoke when I arrived in the UK was roughly half the size, both in length and in girth, of other makes, and consequently half the cost. By taking short puffs at long intervals, I managed to make each cigarette last a reasonable length of time, at least until the last 
gulp of coffee. That brand, by today's grading standard, most probably would have hit the top of the Nicotine Content League table for cigarettes. I had another practical reason for sticking to this brand. I had hoped that one day, in the not-too-distant future, I would be the proud owner of a dressing gown, bar the undertaker getting to me first, if and when I had collected the required number of cigarette coupons. My expectation was that the combined effect of the caffeine and the nicotine would help me to be a thinker and an intellectual, allowing me to hobnob with other intellectuals and giving others the impression that I was one of them. In those days, examples of intellectuals addicted to smoking abounded. Harold Wilson, the Prime Minister of the day, who I suppose could be said to set an example of conduct for the whole of Commonwealth, was never seen in public without his pipe. I frequented that café not particularly for the quality of its coffee, but for its lower cost in comparison with most other coffee houses within the city centre. That was probably the reason why this place was abuzz with students in the evenings, particularly at weekends. For most hard-up students, it was the perfect spot to meet up and hang about with friends and make new ones. Unless I had buddied up with someone new or met an old acquaintance, I usually tried to occupy a seat near the window to watch the world passing by. While enjoying the last few puffs of the cigarette, sitting on a chair near the window, I was pondering my options for the evening. The beetle-blessed Ravi Shankar was going to give a solo sitar recital at the town hall. As an aspiring connoisseur of high culture, this had to be an important event for me to go to. Surely there I would meet other like-minded people and make new friends. However, there was a competing event to be considered. A debate at the Oxford Student Union on the motion, the British East of Suez policy in 1947 was immoral, which promised to be an equally interesting and intellectually stimulating event. Some heavyweight luminaries, including our own Pakistani-born hero Tariq Ali, as well as a few other left-wing internationalists, were expected to grace the occasion with their presence. Once, not long after my arrival at Oxford, I met Mr Ali at the Union Hall after the end of a debating session. He did have an overpowering personality and was a passionate talker. He tried to persuade me to go back home, join the Naxx elites, a revolutionary Maoist communist cadre in West Bengal in India, which was to take on government forces. The goal was to wage a guerrilla war to establish an enclave unifying India, Pakistan and Burma. This was to be the beginning of the creation of a new world order, a world without boundaries. It appeared to me that he was holding the sole agency of the so-called Fourth International, one of the factions of Trotskyite ideology. Why aren't you in the field and spearheading the movement? I quizzed him. If I were there doing that, who the hell would be here recruiting talented future revolutionary leaders like you? He snapped. Yeah, it does sound exactly like Tarek Ali, actually. I'm wondering how much of this is autobiographical, actually. It sounds incredibly autobiographical. Let's see what the genius room is saying. Um, several people are saying that uh, you're dwelling too much over the smoking there. John is saying that. Uh, more than smoking, says Matt. Um, mm, quite a lot of throat clearing. Yes, absolutely. And we've got a comment from Emily, too, and it's always interesting to see what our narrators think of the manuscript because they get, they get right inside it and try to bring out the very best. Um, and I can't see Emily's comment. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I'd read on, um, Emily says in a very apologetic voice. There was nothing to hook me despite some lovely writing. One or two other people have said that. Kate says, confident prose needs more front story. Galadriel says, come in, uh, well-executed writing, but not grabbing me, needs more of a story. What did you think, Ross? 
Yes, 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 I'd agree with all that. Uh, it looks like he's trying very hard to introduce things through what he's doing. So we've got him smoking, thinking about that choice of cigarettes. And that is, that is not um, irrelevant, but it's not the most interesting thing to start with. Because what I don't have a sense of is really um, things that matter. I've got a slight sense that he's trying to fit in, that he feels he, he won't. And I like that. And I'd I like, like to see more yeah. of that. Yeah. Sorry, did I cut you off? No, uh, well, oh, right. really, that, that was it. And um, a few I was mansplaining. Blurb. Sorry. <laughs> a few people mentioning the blurb. Naughty, Peter. Stop says, that. Dear yes, now stop that, Peter. Yes, exactly. The exactly. <laughs> dear, dear. There um, wasn't really enough in the blurb. No, there wasn't, there wasn't enough in the blurb. I'm, I, I mean, the blurb, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit confused, okay? Peter's confused. I'm confused. Um, the, uh, I've always been wanting How to do that for a long time. How that <laughs> <laughs> It's not the first time. Um, so I was kind of expecting a bit of sort of um, uh, Freddy Forsyth, actually, from, from the blurb. You know, Holocaust survivor being hunted down by... Nice sh shadow organization. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. I could definitely get into that. And then what I got instead was Frederick Raphael. Do you remember Freddie Raphael? Glittering mm. prizes. I think it's high time for another glittering prizes, actually. I think uh, just in passing. Um, so, but I, I don't really know where this is going. What did you think, Ed? Um, <clears throat> I'll just hit my vote button. That's, Thank you. Uh, I think I've Yeah, just yeah. come in. Oh, shit. Oh, sorry. Ah, I'm what? sorry. What? No, I hit I hit vote button twice, so I've got a there we are. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's um, fine. Okay, so uh, Oxford revisited. I mean, I'm thinking Brideshead revisited, obviously. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure, but you know, not for me to not to like Oxford, I suppose, <laughs> as we just said. Um, um, I the the blurb the blurb starts with the Holocaust survivor. I'm pretty sure the person we were introduced to wasn't that guy. No. Um, so that was a bit confusing. Um, the most interesting bit, the writing was was clearly well executed and you know, worked well. The, 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 for me, the challenge was the interesting bit, which was meeting Tariq Ali, was mm. started as a started as very much a piece of exposition, and then you know, so it was very telly. Um, so we've got too much of the cigarette, which was nicely described, but we could shrink and then we had a sort of like oh now let the, now let's talk about the interesting stuff which we suddenly get into a very sort of like we're not showing we're telling um which i, I thought was a bit uh, a bit worrying yeah and yeah. i i would really struggle to see this being super you know uh, uh, you know i mean just from a bang point of view i mean i i, mm. I I think it didn't really deliver on the interesting promise of the blurb, which I, I, the blurb I think could be fine. It just needs to be expanded. I mean, we need a bit more on the blurb, um, but that that was so you know a very very respectable. But it didn't didn't really grab me. The best bit was was kind of we, we started to lose the the craft on the best bit, and uh, I, I, I yeah I, I'm not sure I would have read on. Well, I might have read on for you know just the Oxford connection. Um, by yeah. the way, I'm sure all the other male students would have been in the pub. And so we could have made more of the fact mm. that it was the evening and yeah. he's he's a foreign student. Yeah, And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, there's no question in my mind that everyone would have been at the King's Arms or the Bear, not at a pub on Cornmarket, not at a cafe on Cornmarket. But, yeah. Which one were you, you in? Uh, St. John's. Yeah, so. Is that a pub? No, no, no. The Eagle and Child is the one I was in. I was in the Eagle okay. Child, which is where uh, the Inklings used to meet. 
but it was just, yeah, oh. so it's where J.R.R. Tolkien and Talk C.S. Lewis used to Talk hang in. out. Wow. Yeah. Good, good pedigree. Good drinking. Who went to the uh, same high school as Jez Lee Child and Jonathan Coe. Yes, that's right, actually. That's right. And there are some, <laughs> there are some themes there, actually, in Lord of the Rings, aren't there, about the sort of industrialization of the Midlands and so on? And the Lucky Hills, where I grew up. Mm, wonderful. Uh, Michelle uh, basically agrees there. Lovely writing. I'm not connecting. Uh, Galadriel says that was a bit Captain Scarlet referring to me being confused, not referring to your writing. Um, and... Matt says, I'm not sure we have any idea what the story is. So let's just go back to Roz. I just want to check the numbers have come in. They have come in. That's very good news. Roz, just as a general piece of advice, please, because you've worked with the people, you've, you've done ghostwriting and so on. So this, right from the start, this seems, you know, this seems like an autobiography, really. I wonder if it is an auto autobiography dressed up as fiction or whatever. So there are lots of interesting people. And, and Rafi, I've had a look at his website. It's a fascinating website, actually. He's done lots of amazing things. You must have been or still get approached by people who have done interesting things in their life. They've achieved a lot. They've done, and then they think, I, I want to do a book. What do you say to them? I ask them if they've got a publisher interested because if you are going to go strike for somebody, it's going to be a big project. It's going to take a lot of time yeah. and someone needs to fund it. So you really have to start thinking money quite quickly. Now, yeah. of course, then there's the aspect of them being... A, really fascinating have, having great stories and uh, but that's kind of another department really the first thing you have to establish is yeah um is all this work going mm. to be rewarded for them yeah. as well yeah quite yeah yeah uh that well that's the hard question and almost always the answer is, is no isn't it, actually because everyone says oh you've had some inter interesting life you should write a book and maybe they should but it's that's not a commercial project by itself is it no Let's have a look at the numbers. You're looking at a 51 there so far, Rafi. That can go up and down. Let's just see. Um, the, yeah. Ra's title. Yeah, yeah. Genius room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think the, the overall consensus there is that Ra's has given you good marks for the craft there. So we enjoyed the, the, um, the, the reading of the, of the words. But I'm still a bit stuck personally, commercially, to know where this sits. I'd be very interested in the German Holocaust survivor story. I'd also be really interested, as I've said, in a sort of an updating of Glittering Prizes. Because after all, it's a long time ago now since that was shown. Probably three or four decades on the BBC and things have changed. We have, you know, the Oxbridge system producing the likes of Boris Johnson, of whom more are not. <laughs> We're going to look at, uh, we'll go straight to submission number two now, which is called Truth. One word title, Truth. Comes from Danny. It's historical fiction, and this is Danny's blurb. A whistleblower exposes the reality under the hypocrisy. Lots of that around at the moment. Harry Franklin, son of Baroness Zouch. I like the sound of that. Baroness Zouch discovers that his real father was a thief who left his mother a fortune in stolen gems, which she's using to run a whistleblower agency. <laughs> Exposing a paedophile is the first step on a journey that takes Harry from an undercover role in France's Vichy government to stealing a fortune in Nazi loot in Austria, where he falls in love and fathers the child who is the narrator of the story. Ooh, I'm not gonna press the, my confuse button again. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that that upset everybody. But I'm just a little bit confused. A lot of names there, but um, let's uh, let's tell everybody about uh, about you, Danny. I've worked as a commercial television and video writer producer before running my own video production company. Fascination with the role of whistleblowers. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Plays in the zeitgeist along with family history behind the Nazi loot storyline. That's interesting. Oh, what inspired me to write this book? That's very, very clear. And what we're going to do is give you a deliberately brilliant reading from the wonderful Hannah. Truth by Danny Brainan. Read by Hannah. Part 1. 1929. Chapter 1. Harry's mother will come up early on his 13th birthday and told him he would be a man today if he was Jewish, so it was time to get up. He looked at the clock on the bedside table and pulled a pillow over his face. Why? he asked. That's the tradition, she told him. When a boy turns 13, he becomes a man. He told her he meant why should he get up. She sat on the bed. You're my little man now. The way she said it, made him take the pillow off his face. She was trying not to cry. Come on, Bean, get dressed, she said. Breakfast in the special place. He whacked his mother on the shoulder. Don't call me Bean. I'm a man now. She kissed the top of his head. Get up. They got hard-boiled eggs in the dining room and took the path to the piggery, which wound its way around the lake. The special place was a hollow in the middle of the sculpted hedges near the boathouse. When they got there, after fighting their way through frozen branches, they sat on the ground and the Baroness peeled an egg. She gave it to her son and started peeling another one before noticing that her hand was bleeding. She licked it, looking up at the sky, like one does when feeling the need of help, if you believe in God or not. It's time I told you about your real father, she said. She waited for a reaction, but he just looked at her. Piggy isn't my father? Piggy isn't your biological father. He nodded as if that made sense. The twins, who were six years older, had been calling him a bastard for as long as he could remember, especially Thomas, who Harry fought whenever he called him a bastard and even though he got the crap beaten out of him every time. That was his induction to a lifetime of fighting, losing battles. He's been very good to me, I must say, Harry said. The Baroness finished peeling her egg and took a bite to prevent herself from crying again, thinking it was so like her being to have such a generous response. Now she had a mouthful of egg while she cried. She lowered her head as if that would prevent him from seeing her. Her son took her good hand and asked if she'd like to go in. She looked up with tears in her eyes and blood and egg on her teeth and said she was going to tell him how she met his father, right here in this special place. She wiped her eyes with her bloody hands, so now she had blood on her face too. I got a letter in May 1915 asking me to help the war effort from a Mrs. German in Ashby de la Zouche. May 1915, Harry interrupted. His mother shrugged, as in, yes, why are you interrupting me? 
Wasn't I conceived around then? She got a deer-in-the-headlights expression, which Harry had never seen before. The Baroness always had an answer for everything. I was conceived when you met my father? Actually, three days later, she said, like a defendant making a strong point. Mother, you mustn't be a prude, Bean. Don't call me Bean. I'm sorry. Harry stopped himself from saying, I should think so, imagining her saying, you mustn't be judgmental, Bean, and deflected instead. Why is there no E in the Zouche, in Ashby de la Zouche, when there's an E in your name? Too French, I imagine, the Baroness said. As I was saying, I got a letter in May 1915 asking me to help the war effort from a Mrs. German, who was the head of the Red Cross Assistance Working Party. The leading land agent in town was a German. The senior partner in the biggest law firm was a German. Nearly everyone in Ashby de la Zouche seemed to be German, or at least those in positions of some standing. But in spite of their status, having the surname German was problematic, and she wanted me to rally around. Just imagine the hell little Germans experienced at school in Ashby de la Zouche during the war. Harry said, in a town where the E had been removed because it was too French. Her hand wouldn't stop bleeding, and she licked it again. Exactly. Okay, so we just got a comment in there from Hannah, who was our superb reader. Um, the writing was nice, but seemed to meander. It does meander, uh, making it quite hard to follow. Um, it felt like a setup towards something important rather than starting with something important. Okay, I understand that. Um, Matt says, I'm not convinced by Bean. Seems a bit much for a boy in 1929 to fully get when his mother had had sex to have him. Yeah, I I agree with those both those comments, but I still like the writing, actually personally. But maybe I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't think he's captured the um, 13 year old voice there, especially in 1929. But there's something about this uh, that I like. I do I do like the writing. I don't like the title. I don't like the blurb. Um, I don't know if it's commercial, but I like the writing. What did you think there, Ed? Um, the, the, the German pun did my head in, um, that, that was just sort of like, ah, what's going on? I, I <laughs> that completely confused me. Uh, I totally echo the point. I, it's something, I mean, uh, so, sorry, sorry, but it's a bit of a bugbear with me that, that period writing should read as period writing. So yeah. biological father. Yeah. yeah. I think I've muted you somehow. So An expert in um, in in mild profanity at every every era, but that reads as a reads as a seventies or later expression to me. Yeah. Actually, yeah. It might even be yeah. American. Um, yeah. So that's so it didn't ring true. Um, but I, I actually I really like the blur <laughs> to me. I was I like, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. And well, one thing I particularly liked about Can the you explain blur actually. <laughs> Well, yeah, we'd have to go back to it, but I, I like, I, I, I think blurbs are helpful when they start with a one sentence overall, you know, the, the tagline yeah. and then go into some detail because it, it gives you a frame to work mm. in. Mm. So I like the blurb probably more than, more than yours. The title, it's very hard to react to one. It's prosaic, I think. 
Yeah. It's just, and especially what like truth. It could it could yeah. be literally anything. Um, and a very big again, advertising campaign to launch that, wouldn't it? Actually, yeah. they'd the side of every bus in the city. Yeah. And then. Final the final point would be um, there was quite a lot of head hopping and mm. it was sort of you know, we were we were in the emotional reaction of of two people within different paragraphs which is quite dislocating. I mean, did, one did, did that bother you? Did that bother you? Yeah, because yeah. yeah, sometimes I mean sometimes it, who, am I, who am I focusing on? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's really jarring, and it throws you out of the sea. And other times, you I can you can live with it. I I could live with it. I could live with it. Um, I saw it going on though, and several people in the in the junior room did as well. Uh, how did she kind of hand on it? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think there are lots of loose ends here, actually. But I think most of the criticisms that are being levelled against you, Danny, today, accused as you are, um, actually could be sorted out in, in edit. Actually, oh, well, we'll sort it out in post production. I think. Uh, <laughs> but let's let's hear the the maestro. What's the female of maestro? <laughs> Mistress. No. Uh, Maestrix. Oh, Maestrix. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. it. You will, she'll henceforth be known as that. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with, with a lot of the comments I've been seeing. Um, and um, I think the writing is, was confident. It was unfussy, uh, which was good. Um, but I think, uh, again, like the first excerpt, he wasn't, he wasn't really sure what to include and what to leave for later. Yeah. Because I I thought that we were getting a bit bogged down in Espy de la Zouche and yeah, maths and not having just the more simple human reactions, which would be what? <laughs> and um, you know, you mean I'm not who he's not who but what? That there yeah. wasn't enough kind of shock and taking it in. And remember the reader is having to ease into the world yeah. very slowly as well so you've yeah. got to take a lot more steps usually with the beginning than yeah. you think you have to get emotional comprehension and to keep up with the emotions of the characters and another thing i'd say is um in the blurb i wanted a date in there i wanted to know what decade we were in yeah yeah i that would have i th that would have possibly um made ed's you know comments even more sort of cutting wouldn't it really if i mean if we really were in in the, in the 20th, uh, 20th early I, 20th century go on it can i just say one one, yeah, one last point i had i'd already grokked i think or i assume the, the first time it said the special place i said oh that's where he was conceived because it was sort of like oh we're yeah we've got i think we were told in the blurb that there was a you know illegitimate whatever situation so the so it was kind of, that's a little that was not subtle enough you know it's just like oh that's what that's where you know that's where he was conceived okay we're good here I mean, even if it's not it just like that's instantly where my head went just because it was just why would they call it special place hmm. yes so yeah yeah a bit, and you know a reveal uh, and it's too quick for I mean, 700 words far too quick for a reveal right i mean yeah, yes, yes. yeah. Set, set up set up confusion reveal in in the first five seven hundred words it's challenging that's true there? there's definitely challenging um so yeah we've got a bit of buffering going on guys sorry about that i think i've just been looking at our because there's a live as you can tell we don't do any editing on this <laughs> can you imagine um it looks like we're doing okay as far as the stream health is concerned uh we have a very very low latency actually because otherwise the 
the gin instrument that gets kind of out of sync with what's going on. That can be a problem sometimes. I'm sorry if you're getting buffering and so on. If, if you are, I mean, just, just refresh your browser and it might, it might help. Or get, get better internet connection. <laughs> um, Galadriel, no, Andy. Either way, with all that blood on, it's put me a boiled egg for tea, says Andy. Right, so let's look at the numbers. I suspect that I'm, I'm going to be one of the few actually holding out for the writing on this. I really like, do like the writing. I think it's got lots of promise. Well, you have as a writer. It's a 50. It's a little disappointing. You see, I've gone all the way on writing there. I've given you 80. Uh, everyone else, without exception, has gone for, for 60, including the Genius Room. Um, so, yeah... Sorry about that, Danny, but again, I think I think that you can deliver goods. I'm not sure this is the right vehicle for it, or it might be, but um, it would need a lot of uh, lot of edit. But I'm, you know, I, I would hold a flag for your for your writing. Let's catch up, shall we, with Roz and see what's going on in, in her particular world. What is this that I Hello. see before me, Roz? <laughs> what is this? This is oh, uh, we've got we got a we've got. We've got to talk about this, Everest. Now, you published this ooh, not a year ago, about nine months ago. The reviews um, have been the, no six months ago. Six months ago was it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The reviews are uh, running across the bottom. We don't don't always do that. But we do if they're absolutely stellar. Um, look at that! One of the best novels to come out of Britain this year. You've got some amazing reviews. You've got some really good endorsements too, actually. How did you manage to get those? Um, I was very lucky that the people who read it um, really got it. And yeah. I was also quite lucky that quite a lot of different kinds of readers seem to like it too. Um, hmm. So, um, so <laughs> I'm just very grateful that they did. Yeah, yeah. Galadriel saying congratulations. So uh, do you want to feel you, like giving us the elevator pitch for Everest? Okay. Uh, well, um, I was inspired by stories of um, people falling into glaciers and not being able to be retrieved, and yeah. you don't know when they're going to come back. And in fact, there is a film coming out at the end of this month about this. It's called Torn, and it's made by a guy whose father disappeared in the Himalayas um, oh, wow. when, yeah, and he didn't. His body wasn't recovered for sixteen years. Anyway, I just I've always been reading about this sort of thing. Always been reading about Everest, and I had an hmm. idea of a man who fell on Everest and couldn't be brought back and the people who are waiting for him and then by one of those things that happens when you just think too much about an idea I thought music and I thought the guy's a rock star and mm. the whole world is waiting for him and mm. all his music still exists and it's as young as they as he is on the day he fell into the glacier so <sighs> nice in Everest yeah. Uh, the whole world can access him the way that they imagine. <laughs> Fantastic. I love and it. And there's all this music and it tells everybody what they were like when they were teenagers and what they were I like when it. they were in love. And um, meanwhile, they're, the age they are now, they're sort of it's 20 years on and they're waiting until he actually does come back. And uh. that's why it's called Ever Rest. Well, you've got lots of approval in the genius room. And actually, Kate has just said, husband and I both enjoyed reading it, which is very good news. Uh, you've done something very clever here. This is a study guide. So what's, mm. is this an important part of uh, your marketing? 
I thought I'd try it, yes, because mm. I had some lovely interviews about it. And um, I thought, well, book clubs love to know this kind of thing. So, and book clubs, I, I think, are a good market for it because it's got a lot to discuss. Mm. And because uh, it's a, the kind of book that leaves you with questions as much as answers. And so I thought I would put together something that would give book clubs a, a sense of the kinds of things that they could discuss. That's a great idea, a study guide for book clubs. So um, I haven't looked at that. How big is it? What sort of things does it contain? Um, themes, um, questions to discuss, such as, you know, is it ever right to do such and such thing? I can't actually remember any of them at the moment because I don't have a copy in okay. front of me. Uh, but but yes, it's it's questions that that you might discuss. Moral dilemmas: Who's right about this? Um, is anyone right about this? Um, has anyone got a point of view that you would agree with, or do you think wow. they're all hideous? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. just just lots of things that you talk about if you were chatting with friends about it. Excellent idea. Excellent idea. Well, we are going to come back and talk to you about nailing your novel in a moment. Uh, between then and now, we have submission number three. It's non-fiction. I love getting non-fiction. We don't get very much. Sorry about that, really. But um, what non-fiction you want to send us will always be very, very well received here. It's from Gianluca Sari, and it's called The Dawn of a New World. Stories of six people and their ideas. And this is Gianluca's blurb. Did you know that Galileo never wore his academic robe because he would... He would him impede him, oh please, because it would impede him when visiting a brothel. Kind of, oh, kind of spoil that sentence, doesn't it? Mmm, read your blurbs, mate. Or that Newton predicted that the world will end in 2060. <laughs> or that Pythagoras was convinced the beans contained shards of human souls. Yeah, I didn't know that one. Six light-hearted and inspiring tales of the human side of mega-geniuses of the past. In the tone of an inspiring discussion with a close friend in front of a coffee to show the reader that even they are just human beings, like any one of us. All right. We'll tell everybody about you. Uh, John Luca, as an associate professor in physics at Queen's University Belfast. My word, we are, uh, we're very academic today, aren't we? Eh? Ooh, yes, um, quite pedagogical, actually, very illustrious. Um, I've been, uh, often been asked by students to give extra public lectures and seminars that go beyond the beaten track and show the humanity of science. That's a good idea. The success of these lectures also hosted national events such as the Pint of Science. I like that. And the Drunken Lectures, I like that even more, uh, has resulted in a series of popular science articles that I've written for leading newspapers and magazines, including The Guardian, The Independent, Daily Mail, New Scientist, alongside interviews for BBC Radio 5, BBC Newsline and ABC Australia. At the moment of writing, my online articles have attracted more than 1.2 million readers online, clearly demonstrating the public's appetite to learn more about these topics. And we do want to know more, and we want to hear more, particularly, please, from Alison. The Dawn of a New World by Gianluca, read by Alison. Galileo Galilei. It's all about how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. 22nd of June, 1633, Rome. A man in a white gown, genuflected in the middle of an ancient and austere convent hall. A deafening silence surrounds him. The man is visibly sick, scarred by the ailments of his old age. 
Exhaustion encircles his eyes as he stares down at the floor. Fear and anger press heavily on his shoulders. Only a small sparkle of defiance is lit deep in his eyes, not more than a flicker of what used to be a fierce and powerful fire. In front of him, the Council of Cardinals of the Catholic Church. They stand straight, defiant, staring down at the man with a stern repugnance painted on their faces. They have just read a damning and haunting accusation, which still resonates between the bare and unforgiving walls of the convent. The man will burn at the stake, unless he publicly repudiates and detests the fruit of an entire life of hard work and studies. His only way out is to deny having unveiled one of the deepest secrets of nature. Few seconds of eternity pass until his words finally start to stream out of his mouth, driven by a will of their own. I have been pronounced to be under vehement suspicion of heresy, that is, of having held and believed that the sun is the centre of the world and movable, and that the earth is not the centre and moves. Therefore, wishing to remove from the minds of your eminences and of all faithful Christians this vehement suspicion justly conceived against me, I abjure with a sincere heart and unfeigned faith. I curse and detest the said errors and heresies, and generally all and every error and sect, contrary to the Holy Catholic Church. The man is finally beaten by the brute force of a blind beast. Ignorance and suspicion have bitten deep into his flesh, and they have left their hateful and indelible marks. Nothing of worth is left for the man, who will have to spend the last few years of his life under house arrest. The dark veil of ignorance and fear has suffocated the blissed fire of curiosity and knowledge. The man's fault? Having undeniably proved that the Earth is not the centre of the universe, but one of many planets that rotate around their parent star. The man in question is Galileo Galilei, son of Vincenzo Galilei of Florence, mathematics professor at the University of Pisa, and chief mathematician and philosopher of the Grand Duke of Tuscany. How can a man risk his life by simply showing that the earth moves around the sun? That is a fact that today we take for granted, apart from some colourful and thankfully small groups that would still insist on the contrary, of course. How could it be otherwise, anyway? The sun is disproportionately heavier than the earth, 333,000 times heavier, to be precise. In other words, the same proportions that you have between an ant and an adult bear. Okay, ants are quite strong given their size, but it would be quite hard to believe that they could win against a full-grown bear. Well, we know this now, but this has not always been the case. Quite the contrary. Back in the day, the accepted wisdom wanted the Earth to be the centre of the universe, with any other star or planet ceremoniously orbiting around it. This was the most intuitive and comfortable description after all. It seems to agree with our common sense. We do see the sun moving in the sky, rising in the east, setting in the west. Also, we don't feel the Earth moving beneath our feet. Placing Earth in the centre of the universe has also another important implication. It gives humans a privileged position in nature, right at its actual centre. If we are the favourite creation of God, we must have been placed by him at the heart of things, right? This vision is indeed poetic and reassuring, but, I'm afraid, a bit delusional. Yeah, so we've got some absolutely corking comments in the genius room. Uh, spot on, always right, never wrong. That's their motto, and by Jiminy they are. Um, 
Yeah, it's, I'm going to pick up several comments by Vagabond, actually. Uh, in, actually, I'm going to try and go right to the beginning, um, Vagabond, because Vagabond nailed it initially. My expectation is incredibly high. And Gianluca, just, just freeze frame this now. Just read, read through everything everyone's saying, because it's really good feedback for you. Uh, Vagabond said initially, horrible histories for grown-ups. And I thought, yes, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Horrible histories for, for grown-ups. Could I sell that? Could I get publishers interested? Yeah, every publisher I'm, I, I would approach. Um, saying, like, look, I've got this amazing new uh, pop sci concept. It's horrible histories of grown-ups. Do you want to see it? And I say, yes. Everyone would say, yes. <laughs> uh, so I think that's a great concept. And then uh, Vagabond kind of cooled off a bit and said, yeah, this is just feeling like a normal biography rather than interesting stuff we're promised. And then at the end, dude, I'm so sorry, but had me the blurb, now you've lost me. So there you go. That was interesting. Concept, great. And it just kind of went downhill from there. And as Hannah says, what about his robe and the brothel? <laughs> yes, that's what I wanted too. All these promises, promises, eh? What did you think, Ross? Yes, it, it doesn't fulfill the promise in the blurb. It's not mm. the same style. Um, and also with the blurb, I was thinking, oh, we seem to have uh, four examples here, and the book only has six. So ha is this telling us you know, too much or in know. the blurb? Um, <laughs> And the title doesn't go with the blurb. And no. um, the to start with, I thought it had quite a bit of punch because the first few paragraphs we were talking about a, a man who's presented with a dramatic choice. Would he renounce the, this thing that he knew to be true? Mm -hmm. And and then it just sort of veers away from those people altogether, which is a, a shame because mm. it's it, it's another classic example. It seems of an introduction that's got too much to get in, and they need to be more disciplined about how mm. to present it. Mm. There's room for a lot of that other stuff later, but I think to start with, and since this is about people. Mm. Oh, we should stay with the people. Yeah. But it was yeah. nicely written and he's got style and verve and, you know, he, he is trying to make something that he obviously knows in a lot of depth. He's trying to make it accessible without dumbing it down. Mm. But now I think he needs to sort of go with the concept that he presented in the blurb. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I was disappointed, actually. I'm sorry. Sorry to say this. You're, you're saying a minute. I've only given the title a one because I really don't like that title. Uh, John Luca, and that's probably going to weight you down. Uh, nevertheless, you're getting some fantastic feedback and advice here. What did you think? Please add. Um, <clears throat> I, in the abstract, I like the title. I, I'm not sure it fits. I mean, I kind of, I, I maybe I, I, I may have gone a little over the top on that, but uh, or I would have preferred worlds, not world. But other than that. Yeah, I okay. quite like the title. Well, you liked it a lot. I, I didn't. So we're going to we're going to yeah. average each other out there quite yeah, nicely. Each other out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But uh, oh dear. Um, uh, suffocated, blissed fire. I mean, it was written. I mean, mm. I, I don't normally tell say things are overwritten, but I mean, it's just, there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on immediately after the quote, which and that was the, those were the three words I picked out. It's like, yeah, oh dear, this is this is hard going, and then I, we had at least three different tones. We had sort of yeah, we had like it's you know dark, miserable. You know we're about to be executed, and then we had and I was I was hate it when there's like a sort of like a let out. It's like oh, and then he was under house arrest. I thought he was going to be burnt at the stake. Much more fun. Hmm. Um, and then we had the scientific explanation. 
And I could be wrong, but my father is a solar astrophysicist, and I don't <laughs> think that he would have ever said that the Earth orbited the star. The sun was not a star, I don't think. I'm pre- I'm 99 percent sure that they didn't see it as a star. Yeah, they would I'm not sure have known. Yeah, they would no, not have known it didn't. was a star. So no, sorry, that's no. just wrong. Yeah. Uh, and um, then then we got then we started to get into kind of the the breaking the fourth wall, actually talking straight to the reader, which again yeah. I I was expecting that style from the start. Yeah. I, I so the the sort of this. The, I don't mind we, that. I don't yeah, mind if they, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, it makes it more yeah, personal, I, doesn't I, it? But I it, 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 yeah, yeah. So I, I wanted, so the the whole cardinals and blissed fires and stuff, just lose all that and lose the quote. Just yeah. none of that. Just talk to the, you know, the horrible histories is fantastic. And I, I was sort of expecting, com- I think the reason why I like the title was combined with the blurb, I was getting the sense of, oh, we're going to learn some interesting facts about some interesting people at, at interesting times. And that's going to be great. But instead yeah. we got sort of like, you know, you know, your 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 you know your heart is about to be rendered by you know an ant or no that wasn't what happened but whatever you know it's just oh oof. but yeah, talk to the reader that's fantastic that's fun you know yeah. <laughs> that'd be great yeah definitely and I, I would have started that whole story with you know you know with with something about this you know the sun you know the sun and the the earth and the sun and just like you know it doesn't and you know, brothel for example it, well the, well yeah and who knows what the brothel was about that was just bizarre. Uh, I'm not going to read Lex's joke, but it's very good. I recommend that everyone reads that straight away in the uh, Genius yeah. Room. If I read it, it probably we'd get demonetized by YouTube, but hell with them. Uh, Johnny says, I've nodded off at the back of the lecture theatre. I'm afraid. Yeah, let's have a quick look at the numbers, and I want to talk to every, everybody about popular science. 48. So a variety of reactions there both Ros and i went low on the title ed loved it you know that's what's going to happen guys and the thing is you will get extreme reactions different reactions from different people that's the the nature of the beast you're dealing with here in the publishing business but what what you're aiming to do in order to get a deal is you're going to get a fairly good reaction from a fairly large number of people that's what you it's got to be a bit of consensus these days in publishing um blurb pretty much exactly everyone's almost given exactly the same the craft more or less the same bang i'm i'm actually bigger on the bang than uh, than Roses. let's just talk about popular science because i've always loved popular science actually for decades actually i've done quite a lot of deals in the popular science area so uh, let me just um help if i press the right button wouldn't it here we go um I, i'm just thinking about I'm thinking about the future of popular science, right? There's got to be there's got to be a future for popular science. So I have identified one, two, three, four areas of writing in popular science, and I'm not sure any of those are really the future. So let me go through those quickly. Is the chit chat area, chit chat, and that's that is the kind of stuff that you know. Did you know that Galileo never wore his academic robe because it would impede him when visiting a brothel? It's that kind of stuff. It's it's it's, it's knowledge that makes you seem uh, clever, but you're never going to use except at a cocktail party, if you remember what they are cocktail parties um so it's the chit chat stuff and that can be it's almost gossipy and they can be really interesting and it can you know while away uh, a rainy afternoon or a flight to to a state or something like that and then there's the explainer um that tells us something you know it's something we all kind of need to know or we feel we need to know uh then there's the expose that takes takes the lid off something those are very interesting books and then there was kind of a futuristic 
pop size genre i'm not sure that's really big now sort of you know what the world is going to be like in 10 years time we're all going to be flying around in cars and things like that um but i don't know any of those are appropriate anymore do you read pop size at all ed um yes i mean i, I think I, I but i'll do um let's see try to quite quite micro stuff sort of probabilities or the, the you know history of the word speculation which kind of is, is in that realm um i'm not so it's not quite you know the you know what's going to happen to the future of nuclear power or something but i will i do mm. i do read some of that yeah mm. and what would you like to be reading in the pop sign genre in the next year or two is there, is there any any subject i mean don't don't say bitcoin um, well yeah exactly let's not say, let's not say that yeah. um i think the the th you know actually yeah, it was funny i asked my i asked my ne uh, nephew who is did did a degree with a combination of media and climate science is very mm. american to sort of combine these things and actually i think that what i would love to see is somebody i don't i don't need hope about climate per se but I'd love to see more on sort of climate, which is kind of solution focused. So tell me mm. about so if you know, solar mm. powered desalination and you know, here are, you know, here mm. are six, you know, the dawn of the new world, here are six practical things that yeah. human, you know, that we could do in the next five years to deal with climate, right? I mean, mm. that, that would, something like that I would be very interested in. And yeah. you know, if, if, if three of them were actually, you know, concluded with a you could do this personally yourself that would be lovely right yeah and stuff, stuff yeah. like that i mean i want something a bit hopeful because honestly the world's a bit yes, not hopeful, exactly so. exactly i think that's absolutely so let's, let's, aim, let's aim at a aim at a real problem you know that's an obvious real problem and but then you know ideally yeah. something which kind of was not cocktail party i don't need to i don't need to have explained to me you know what year china's going to run out of water that's like, yeah. please don't tell me that. But, I know, you know, I know. It's all, it's all bad news, isn't it? Uh, Matt says new, climate crisis. So new, new tech. New tech, positive new tech. Climate crisis done in style and as well as perfect storm. Um, do, do you read any of this kind of stuff at all? Um, not really. I, I was a real science nerd at school, um, mm. even though I, I couldn't do maths very well. But I, I used to read um, the physics books just to find out what a cyclotron was and things like that. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I do enjoy science a lot. But I, th but what I'm more interested in is uh, the people, because these people who had pioneering ideas are often very strange by anyone's yes, standards they and, and they've always been strange people and i want to know they about are. that and i want to know what it was like to know them and yeah. how practical or impractical they were yeah i think that's that's possibly the future actually it's what are these people like i i, I think you've i think you've nailed it actually speaking of which Wow, what a, what a good intro. What a good intro. This is Roz's other website. It's got so many presences on, on the web. Um, this, is a, this is where you, you act as, as muse. And um, what do you do here? Tell us what you do. This is my blog, Nail Your Novel, which is just um, really anything that I'm thinking about as I am writing my own work or hmm. um, tutoring people. And um, I have a mix of writing craft posts or posts about the writing life and the writing business. Um, hmm. They're intended to be helpful and, and useful for, for people. Then I also have interviews. And if someone interviews me, like I did today, and that's what that post oh. is there, oh. um, then I... Yeah. 
so I, I, I put those up too. So if you're working, if you're working with an author, if you just move into the, the show on this guy, if you are working with an author and you, you know, they do, it's almost everybody does really, kind of write, write their way into the manuscript, you know, write, 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 and then by the time they get to chapter three, it's kind of starting to motor. What, what do you tell them to do? What's your advice? Dang. Oh. Uh, and they all have to kind of chime together and um we have to figure out it's like the beginning is also like an overture which uh, tells yeah. people something bigger about what they're about to read so th that's what i try to do i try to identify what needs to be at the beginning and then rewrite without uh, preferably without looking at what you had before because if you try and write ah, from memory then you are not hamstrung by the lines you want to keep mm. and the ideas you want to keep but if you just think um right i've got to get this 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 and this in and it might all come out and then you'll find you've got a much better framework for a beginning that will really do justice yeah. to your book yeah very good. Okay, uh, that's a great, uh, great tip actually. So, when when you're writing, um, no, let's talk about advice. Advice you give to other writers. So, when one is writing, um, should one uh, write with a particular reader in mind? Do you think one one reader, my mum, or is it is it is it sort of more general? Now I'm writing, you know, for the audience. I end up thinking just about the page and what I am, what I am, sort of. I, I think of writing as a relationship with the page. It's it's hmm. a way that I can delve to truths that probably no one else would be interested in. And then what I have to do is make it so that it is interesting and compelling um, and relevant for other people. And I spend a lot of time thinking very carefully about how I'm leading the reader's thoughts and putting one thought after another after another so that they see the magic and the ideas that I and, and was interested in yeah. in the first place. So that sounds like quite a long and no, self-indulgent totally process. I totally follow that. That's brilliant. Yeah. Amazing <laughs> advice, says Michelle. Uh, Hannah says, no idea what cyclotrons are. We're not going to get into that right now, but we are going to get into the fourth submission of the day. Chimera. It's fiction. It's from Cora. And this is Cora's blurb. A thrilling adventure about an environmental activist and a scientist, whistleblower, <gasps> a theme du jour. Oh, amazing. I love it how these synchronicity things happen. Uh, a whistleblower. Running for their lives and an unpublished report that could avert worldwide catastrophe. Camera Marshall's real-world drama to blend fact and fiction into an urgent tale of a world where science takes a backseat to profit. Uh, hello, 2022. <laughs> Fleeing assassins, the characters attempt to alert scientists and the public to looming disaster. Chimera challenges our assumptions and reveals shocking choices where we least expect them. Let me tell you about Cora. Um, educated as a scientist, indeed, and graduated as a mathematician. Well, you should get together with Ross to a little bit of mutual uh, coaching, I think, perhaps. Uh, Cora has earned her living as a full-time professional entertainer. Uh, most of her life, including a stint as a regular performer on the prestigious Grand Old Opry. 
Isn't that fantastic? I don't think we've ever had a submission from anyone who's been on that stage. That's extraordinary. How brilliant. Should have sent some photos or something. Um, Cora's repeated attempts to escape the, the entertainment industry, my God, you sound like Britney Spears, have brought work as a librarian, physics teacher, syndicated newspaper columnist and city planner, among other occupations. Cora has written five novels, three novellas, three novelettes, and about 50 short stories, of which 37 have been published in seven countries. A lot of numbers to digest. I can tell you are the math mathematician there. Uh, one of Cora's short stories won the 2019 Fair Australia Prize. That's brilliant. And what's even more brilliant is our second reading of the day from Emily. Chimera by Cora, read by Emily. Chapter 1. The dark Chevrolet sat on the shoulder 50 yards from Martin Scott's driveway. Dr Scott had idly noticed the car a late model Malibu LTZ with heavily tinted windows, sitting in roughly that same spot several evenings over the past few months. In fact, now that he thought about it, he'd seen that Chevy parked there dozens of times when he returned from meetings or sometimes from his office. Tonight, for the first time, Martin wondered about the car as he drove past it and turned into his drive. Funny, he thought. It isn't near anyone's driveway. He got out and opened the old and now unusual single-car garage. Walking back to his Prius, Martin heard the Malibu's motor start, then saw the dark Chevrolet drive past as he eased his long frame into the driver's seat and parked his silver Toyota in the small garage. They often leave just as I get home, he mused. I wonder what they're up to. Probably some trysting lover hurrying to get away before someone's husband or wife comes home from work. Something about that explanation didn't quite fit, but Martin's relief at being home put the dark car out of his mind as he opened the side door and walked into his kitchen. Tired from too much driving and glad to have a cooler evening than the past few, the bioengineer opened a bottle of Shafley's oatmeal stout, picked up today's post-dispatch and moved to his armchair. He took one pull at the bottle, then read for several minutes. After scanning the local and world news, Martin took another mouthful of stout. As his eyes absently studied the yellow label, his mind wandered back to the afternoon. No, it's perfectly safe. See, the genes are inside the plants, and the plants don't get up and wander around. Martin Scott had given this explanation so many times at so many meetings and press conferences over the past three years that he could allow his eyes and most of his mind to survey the room and identify some of the people. The majority consisted of concerned locals, but many of those present attended similar meetings throughout the Midwest. The usual array of academic and industrial scientists, Martin's colleagues and, in some cases, friends, had come to make presentations much like his. Likewise, mostly the same members of the Fourth Estate attended such meetings. Front and centre sat Jim Ritter, respected science reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, and Peter Gorner, his competitor at the Tribune. Martin felt bemused to see both Eric Hand and Rachel Melker present for the post-dispatch. Eric for the science, Martin thought, and Rachel for the business angle. Stan Ringer from Noventus finished answering a local politician's question, and Martin watched a young woman with short, sandy-coloured hair rise from her folding chair and rise and rise. My word, she's tall, Martin exclaimed inwardly. He'd seen this young woman at previous events, but hadn't met her and hadn't remembered her imposing height. Slender and graceful, she engaged Martin's eyes with her own as she asked, 
What about the contamination of the country's long-grain rice supply? With a soft Scottish burr. Before Dr Scott could begin an almost automatic reply, Stevie Collins spoke up. The Secretary of Agriculture, Mr Johans, has already said that there are, and I quote, no human health, food safety or environmental concerns associated with LL Rice 601. The tall young questioner turned to Ms Collins and pressed on with, but that doesn't make it true. A few weeks ago, the European Union tightened its requirements on imports of US long-grain rice because of possible contamination by genetically modified organisms. What are you doing about that? As Stevie prattled on about the government's negotiations with the EU, Martin's eyes stopped surveying the room and shifted back and forth between Stevie and her tall young questioner. That girl might be taller than me, Martin thought, and she's very pretty. Comfortable with the safety of genetically engineered food crops, he nevertheless agreed that an endorsement from Mike Johans didn't mean a great deal. Stevie's boss was a team player and would say whatever the industry wanted him to say. All right, uh, straight to the genius room. I'm looking at... Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of car, car details, people picking up the car details, uh, Cora. Um, and Matt says a very interesting thing there, actually. Matt says, it's a vivid opening scene, though it is aimed at suburban dwellers. In the city, nobody's parked near their home. What seems normal in the city seems sinister in the suburbs. That is true, isn't it? And Vagabond says, I'm not keen on openings where we go into remembering something that happened earlier so soon. If that's the interesting bit, start there and let's live it rather than be told about it. I, should, I think that Ros is going to agree with that. I totally agree. Yeah. Vagabond Heart, you have got it. Um, yes, it start, I felt it started interestingly with a puzzling thing. And then we just went into this flashback, mm. which also introduced a lot of people talking about stuff. We didn't know who any of these people were. We don't, still don't really know who the person whose viewpoint yeah. we're following is. The non-player and characters, I, aren't they, really? Yeah, and it was too. It felt like too much of an information dump. It felt like, oh, we've got to get this in quickly, quickly. Just we modified this and that and the other. Mm. This person, this person. The reader won't be able to take all that in. Um, and I, I feel it would have been better to present those in a different way. Um, but I mean, the, the, but the writing was accomplished, and and there was some sort of bits of humour. It was trying not to be bogged down in the science. Um, yeah. I did feel the blurb was quite confused to start with. The, the opening sentence was far too long, and then we had the, we got to the real meat of the sentence. Um, Chimera is a a novel of oh right, but it took about three lines to get to that. So that could be a lot shorter. Um, but by the end, it was quite energetic and it seemed to be really going somewhere. So I think that the blurb, the end of the blurb was much better from the beginning. And several people have commented on the title, which I agree with. It's, mm -hmm. It is going to be quite hard to um, di di differentiate that from all the other novels, which are called that too. It could mm -hmm. even be fantasy. We don't know. It could it, be. You need something that, that says far more strongly what this is. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And Vagabond's feeling very smug after your prize there, Roz. Um, Johnny says, getting a wee bit sidetracked with too much detail in certain areas. Michelle said, I read Peter May's Coffin Road. Sounds like this is going to be a good endorsement. It was an excellent way to introduce corporate corruption in the environment. Uh, Jeff says, a bit too much data for me. And that's echoed by Andy, who says, lots of academia tonight. Could do a bit more action jokes 
I agree with that. Lots of names, says Emily. What did you think, Ed? <coughs> yeah, I, uh, I, the, I thought the title was extremely generic, um, and you know, it, 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 I, to, to my mind, it has to be sort of close to unique or descriptive, or you know, one of the many things that you talked mm. about in your uh, title seminar. There's no cognitive dissonance, and in fact, it's used often. It's like, yeah, no, not there. Um, mm. The blurb. The blurb was okay. It was a bit. It actually, I think the blurb just need, could could have been. Never mind the run-on sentence at the beginning. It, it was it was actually repetitive. I felt just yeah. sort of like I think we're being we're being told the same thing more than once. So that's a problem. Yeah. Um, it also sounded a bit pelican briefy to me. Uh, if anyone remembers, if anyone remembers that. Oh, movie. I do. Um, I do. Yes. Yeah. So, Gosh. Yeah. That sort of. Okay. I think I've seen this movie before. Yeah. Um, the the writing was. The writing was just fine. I didn't. I'd like a number of people have mentioned. I didn't like the fact that the the interesting stuff was told in a flashback. Uh, you know, after a pull yeah. of beer, it's like let's just have the interesting stuff. And you, it's it's really hard. The reporting. You know, when when it's sort of like somebody watching other people doing stuff, it's hard to get the reader engaged with that. And yeah. um, you know, and then. You know, who, you know, too many names, especially when it's, you know, it's whatever it's there. And then the fixation on the pretty girl sort of is a bit sort of like, uh, am I supposed to now, is that supposed to make me think something about the protagonist that he's, you know, why didn't he notice the girl was so tall before? I was like, I'm confused. Um, and I was totally lost, by the way, right at the beginning. I said my one, my one significant actual issue. It took me a long time to work. Oh, he must have a, such an old garage that he has to get out of his car to open the garage door to go back, which is, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's well, yeah, just well, very, it's, very, it's very feasible. I just didn't feasible. get, I didn't understand that at all because yeah. as far as I'm concerned, in American suburbia, everyone has a garage door opener. Yeah, um, but in the Midlands, so. I think you'll find people do have quite narrow garages sometimes. Nottingham, definitely. Maybe, maybe not yeah, elsewhere, yeah, but yeah, Nottingham. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they, they, they don't have uh, late model Chevys parked outside. Well, that's true. Unless they're rockabillies, yeah. of oh, course. Wait, one other point. Um, I, and this might almost be, this could well be a question, you know, so a question for both of you, really. It was described as fiction, but it was clearly a thriller. Yeah. Um, so why wasn't it described as a thriller? I, I, I think that yeah. you know, a, narrow, a more narrow description of what it is would have helped. Definitely. Because fiction, yeah. well, what's the point of even telling me that? Yeah, that's right. Well, it's not not that that fictiony really, because dealing with GMOs and things, those are the things we used to be frightened about. We're not anymore. We've got other things to be frightened of. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a problem really with you know sort of science future. It's, it's you know I mean people have been so worried about stuff. I mean you know, the whole COVID thing appears that we don't need to worry about that anymore apparently in the UK. But you know, bugger me. It's World War Three happening over in the Ukraine. There's something else to be worried about. Oh, no wonder people are reading Agatha Christie, harking back to simple times. What are you reading at the moment, Ross? I am reading Andrew Lowney's book about Edward and Mrs. Simpson, which is oh, great. Right. Yeah, it's just, see, it proves my thesis. We're, we're harking back to a more innocent, simpler time. Um, and speaking of uh, simplicity, let's look at the scorecard. With only one more submission to go. All right. So it's pretty damned. Oh, it's so it's amazingly close this month, actually. There's only one in it. Only one in it between Danny and Rafi. 
Wow. So really, now it's all up to the final submission, um, which we should do without further uh, delay. Here it is. It's called The Lightning Rod. It's literary fiction with touches of magic realism. Sounds like a cocktail order. I'd like a literary fiction cocktail, please. A touch of magic realism. It's from Bill, Bill Zagat. Oh, hello, Bill. Nice to have you there. Uh, Zach Dorison is your professional name as an actor. Yeah, very good to have you along. So nice um, that you're making comments on YouTube. I meant to invite people to do that earlier, but I, f I forget to do lots of things. Um, so just come straight back at us with any thoughts, comments, or reactions, please. We love it when, when YouTube does that. I'm going to read your blurb now. Dominic Jane is a snobbish gay art critic in his 50s. Fearing he's on the verge of a nervous breakdown, he chooses to secretly chill out in a colleague's summer cottage in rural Ontario. While there, he develops an unlikely friendship with Rodney Beeston, a teenager with bright blue skin. The result of serial lightning hits since he was a baby. Much like that. As Dominic gets increasingly involved with Rodney's life, he learns uncomfortable truths about himself. Let me tell everybody about you, Bill. Here we go. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, so, that's a good way to start. So, I'm the proverbial late bloomer when it comes to novel writing. I'm well into my 60s, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, I've had some dark slipstream short stories published. Hmm. And I'm an actor, as Zag Dorison, and a playwright, as an ageing member of the LGBT, etc. Thank you for abbreviating uh, community. Myself, I have interwoven some comical highs and pathetic lows of being a baby boomer homosexual into my debut novel. Beyond all that, during these crazy pandemic days, I've been semi-cocooning amidst... Uh, amid semi-lockdowns in my small apartment, sharing an eclectic space with too many books, you can't ever have too many books, and Middle Eastern, Gothic, and First Nations objets d'art. All I'm missing is a cat. Well, we can probably uh, sort that out for you now, actually, uh, Bill, with a, a reading from uh, Latopia's very own feline. <laughs> I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. It's Jeff! Lightning Rod by Bill, read by Jeff. Everything to be imagined is an image of truth. William Blake. Chapter 1. Ooga Booga, scary shit, on a pogo stick, as they say. Well, I say. I'm wrapped in high-end bedsheets and cannot breathe, like an ancient mummy entombed and surrounded by the finest things in life for the afterlife. My brain is extracted through my nose with a hook. My heart lies on the scale. Anubis, that old doghead, weighing it against the truth, justice and order of the god Matt. Judgment passed. I am found wanting. No surprise there. Anubis howls with laughter as he allows the eater of souls to devour me whole. But my innate good taste must be repugnant to it. I am regurgitated, setting time in backwards motion. My life and the dynastic forebearers are mere blurs. Earth god Geb pulls back from coitus with the sky goddess Nuth as his massive condomless primordial dick shrivels up and implodes. Nuth's spangled torso is flung asunder. Atom Ra refrains from jerking off. Zeus, Odin and Indra 
Look on in horror as the universe is uncreated. Even Yahweh is gobsmacked. Light be their let. All our atoms intermix, glimmer for a nanosecond and fade into nothingness. That could have been my dream. And in fact, I had been dreaming, though I couldn't remember what it was about. I spasmed into wakefulness, wiping all memory away. Starting off a story with a counterfeit dream may skirt the cliché that publishers warn against, but barely. Is chicanery to be the keynote description of my story? Indulge me. Regardless, there I was for real, blinking like mad, still tangled in my blanket and top sheet as focus fought to return. I stared at the patterned wallpaper, its yellowing Wild West motif always pacified me, despite it being rather twee. A cowboy wading his steps in from atop a rearing palino. I waved back at him, a sign that either I had now sunk to Steganian depths, aesthetically speaking, or I was still a bit squiffed from the night before. Or maybe I had finally evolved beyond caring about aesthetics. Right. Wait. I had covered up that Bronco Buster paper eight years before, when I did a major reno on my parents' old house. After packing my mother off to a retirement home, her choice, papered over with silver and aquamarine paisley, the wall, not my mother. Had I developed X-ray vision at last? Focus fully returned, and the usual paisley swerved before me from my bedroom wall. All was as it should be. I squinted out the bedroom window. Azure was being pushed aside by cumulus deep grey. I strained to recount my dream, but to no avail, so I replaced it with a mythical preface above. Just the right balance of retention and depth, I think. More fun for you types out there, given to literary and psychological analysis. I am such a scamp. Imagination serves where memory fails. However, dream, wild west, deep grey. I ever had my share of dreams. Who hasn't? And well, my wild days are mostly a thing of the past. Were they ever wild and grey? The spouting at my temples and shot from my shaggy head hair. Dominic Jane. Unable to turn the literary and artsy on its shaggy head, I turned myself, over two decades ago, to writing about art as an occasional contributor in the national newspaper, The Globe. Although my name hardly makes the painters and sculptors and multimedia artists quake in their boots, I've been able to generate intense interest from time to time in a gifted tyro or if I have interest in a fading vet or two. Dominic Jane. In recent years, I diversified my critical talents, a byline in the bi-weekly arts and lifestyle magazine, Culture D, and appearing as a semi-regular on a decor show with the Style and Home Network. And then, a deal in the offing for a line of luxury bed linings, branding myself De Jane. Sad, really. But who am I going to call to care for me in my dotage? Ghostbusters? Having imagined myself on the verge of nervous exhaustion, I was dragging myself from one meeting to the next. One deadline, gallery opening, right up, and party to the next, next, next. Colleagues were noticing the Louis Vuitton baggage under my eyes, with a tisk, a roll of eyes, or a jealous chuckle. Maybe I hadn't imagined the verge. Maybe I was on the brink of a nasty meltdown. After all, I am in control. I'm in control. In control.
<laughs> You've got some great reactions there on the uh, Genius Room, Bill. Uh, you should do uh, a screen grab of this right now and uh, frame it, I think. Uh, let's see what Jeff says. Uh, he's not objecting to me uh, with the feline reference. And he's, he's he, uh, it's, it's, I, I, you know, I say this too much, but it's, it's great to get reactions from our narrators because uh, they see it slightly differently. Jeff says, there was a voice there, it flowed, and was fun to read, but Salvador Dali in content. I think that absolutely nails it. It is. Hello, Dali! Um, Vagabond says, anybody else know WTF is going on? Uh, unusual protagonist chatting to the reader. Voice, says Johnny. Yeah, voice. The dream just, no. Uh, too self-indulgent. Matt doesn't like that. Galadriel says, good writing, some good writing here. It is This is a very interesting comment, actually. No one's ever said this before. That's why they call the Genius Room. There's some good writing here. Is there a strong voice? Or is it Jeff bestowing one to the words? I'm not sure if I would read this, but I would listen to Jeff narrating. You know, I've thought that a number of times, Galadriel. I've never said it. No one else has ever said it, but I think you've nailed it. And Johnny says, to quote Meg Ryan, I'll have what he's having. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> inject some analysis and some sanity into this, please, Ros. Right. Well, um, yes, it, it's quite um, it's quite sparky, isn't it? Um, it seems a bit self-indulgent in places. I wasn't impressed with starting with a dream. It went on too long for a dream. I don't think you can get away with very much of it, even if it turns out you're then going to sort of see through the old, the new wallpaper to the old. Um, all that I thought was taking a bit too long because I was thinking, are we ever going to get to him doing anything? And what what is he doing? Um, so I was kind of looking, trying to look past the fireworks to see what I would be grasping hold of. But maybe I'm a bit too literal and um, it's different if you're hearing something read out because mm. if you're reading something to yourself, you can sort of take it at, at more of a pace that suits you. Um, mm. Reading aloud is a bit different, although I also agree, Jeff made a lovely job and I really enjoyed hearing mm. it. Other things I'd say, um, the title. At first, when I saw it, without knowing what it referred to, I thought, Oh, the lightning rod, that seems a bit... Um, I, I've heard it before. But then, having read the blurb, I thought, oh, yeah, that's quite clever. But I would take the off it. Lightning rod would, I think, be much stronger for the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and he really did get me with the bright, the bright blue skin. I thought, oh, now like, I'm sitting like up. I'm lot. interested yeah. in knowing yeah. that. And I could see a lot of people that really made them sit up. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see what happens and where it goes. I felt from the, the first line of the blurb that the, um, the protagonist sounded a bit like a stereotype. There are mm. so many books that begin with oh so so goes to somewhere to recover they've yeah. always got to recover yeah. and one is, one is sort of surrounded by people recovering all the time having a good think and taking stock um i don't know if there is a way of just circumventing that when you write a book the mm. meeting a character with bright blue skin who's just going to make you completely yeah. assess your life Lovely. It's maybe lovely. where to yeah. start. Mm, lovely. It's a bit of a romp. I mean, I'm seriously thinking, actually, Bill, whether the best advice I, I could give with you, maybe it would be consider an original audio book. What do you think, Ed? Um, so I get, I like the title, li really like the blurb. 
and, and that the went together. I would echo the comment. That's great, great advice to tweak without uh, without the. I think that's, that totally makes sense. Um, I gave Craft a sort of middle middling score because I think, to me, I think it achieved. I think it achieved what it set out to achieve, which is yeah, in a clear way. But I'm not sure it, it got the reader's permission to do that through the blurb or anything. Mm. So it's like, um, good point. So it's it, you, if you if you're going to set out to do what you know, talk to the reader and do this stuff. It's like you got to you did not get my permission for that. Mm. I, I didn't get a permission to be talked about a dream. And the reason like I gave it such a low score on Bang is that. I, I think books like this, and I'm thinking, um, I mean, High Bar, uh, but Absurdistan, for example, um, I can't, I, it, the author's name's hard to pronounce and I've forgotten, but uh, people will know it, apologies. Uh, very, very amazing author. But things like Absurdistan, if you're, if you're going to talk, if you're going to write in this almost absurdist way, mm -hmm. then it probably, uh, to me, it needs to be in a more, it needs to be in a more absurd place or there needs to be some reason for that. Um, yeah. It's not, yeah. It's sort of like, here I, I am and, that. you know, it mm. feels very anodyne and whatever, but I'm mm. going to, you know, drop acid mm. or just talk about a nervous breakdown in a, in a, in a weird way. And I didn't, I, I, I would have, I would have really, I mean, I, I love this stuff, but there has to be a reason for it. Mm. I have no clue what the reason for this. I, mm. And I, when I say love, I really love this stuff. But it just didn't. This one wasn't there for me. And uh, I, I mean, I, I, you'll probably say this, and, and, uh, but the um, the literary fiction. I mean, I think we're. I think no, normally, you say people shouldn't describe themselves as literary fiction, and I'm not mm. sure I would. I mean, a satire or or absurdist, whatever, absurdist or something. I think there's lots of ways to describe stuff like this, but. Mm. Uh, as I say, the title and the blurb I love, the, the actual craft was totally fine. I just didn't have, you didn't have my permission to tell me the story. So, yeah, yeah, very really astute. <clears throat> great, great points there. Um, let's see what the numbers are looking like then for you, Bill. It's a 56. Um, and Ed really does like the title, clearly, from the numbers. Roz thinks it's pretty darn commercial, Roz. <laughs> Yeah, um, but Ed doesn't. You see, that's really interesting. And I think, actually, Bill, you are going to find this does polarise people to to that extent. Um, just one final cut back to the genius room. Really good point, says Andy, by Ed Reed, getting the reader's permission. I think that's a great insight. Thank you very much for that. And now then, that does mean, of course, it's incredibly tight on the show. Incredibly tight. Yeah. Wow. But, Bill, look at that. The last one of the day. It's 48, 48, 50, 51. And then Bill came straight in with 56, which means, of course... Well done, Bill. Hope you're pleased. You're very quiet. Still on YouTube, are you? Yes? Well, give us a... A something or other, give us a like. It'd be nice if everybody could give us a like, please. And share, tell people what we're doing here, whether, whether you enjoy it, whether you don't like it, whether you think it could be improved, 
tell us let us know please and share the love pass it on we'll say thank you to everybody who contributed today in some form or other i know we had fantastic guests fantastic narrators amazing team behind the scenes and of course mostly we owe an endearing debt of gratitude to everyone who's a writer out there it's not easy as i said at the beginning of the show it's not easy we appreciate that and we want to be here for you to help and encourage you to successful publication and we'll be doing again next sunday take care hit it that's what i'm talking about wait okay now from the beginning hit it boys